Hi everyone and welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. My name's Ross McLeod and today I'm joined by a man who spent the actual era asking what did everybody want? Asking what did everybody need? A man who caused a Keensaw State University professor to ironically lose her head because an action figure of him came with a mannequin doll. He's a former WWF Hardcore European and Tag Team Champion. It's Al Snow. Al, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Ross. I really appreciate it. Not at all. So before we start, Al, uh, just where can people find you online? Well, they can find me at the real Al Snow. Uh, yes, there were some imposters, and when they would, I'd find them, I would message them and go, look, you're going to fake being a celebrity at A. Meyer. So, um, <laughs> but you can find me at the real Al Snow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, you can follow me uh, there and all my goings on. No worries, and you can find us at Suplex Retweet on all good social media platforms, and also use that to find us on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify and all the Android podcasting site. We're going to start the interview off the way we start all our interviews here at Suplex Retweet. It's just, why are you passionate about pro wrestling and where did that passion come from? The reason I'm passionate about pro wrestling is that I've been loved, quite honestly, with professional wrestling for probably the majority of my life. I've been a professional wrestler for 37 years and I consider myself blessed and lucky that I've gotten to do what I love to do for as long as I've gotten to do it. I am still directly involved in professional wrestling uh, through OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling. I'm uh, now an owner of uh, OVW. Um, uh, just every aspect of wrestling I have dearly loved um, and cannot explain where that passion comes from. I've always told uh, young aspiring professional wrestlers if, if someone were to come and ask you why you want to do this and you have a definitive answer, then it's probably not the right thing for you to do. Uh, it should be something that you feel you just have to do and you can't explain why. To quite honest, anybody that has any sanity or sense probably wouldn't want to pursue this as a career. And uh, you have to be a bit mad in order to run away with the circus and be a professional. Okay, that's a good answer that. So... The first time WWE fans got a look at you in sort of a high-profile storyline was during your first run with the company. Uh, you were part of the New Rockers in 1996. How much pressure did you feel under being part of like a reboot of one of the most popular teams of the 1980s? Uh, you know, the pressure's always there regardless of what you're doing. Uh, as a performer in, in WWE, uh, every time you go to that ring, professional wrestling you serve one of two purposes you are the thing that is selling tickets motivating people to leave their home or you're one of the things that help sell tickets there is no third option and, and you've got to be one of those two things every single time you go to the spring and you're only as good as the last time you performed and the pressure uh, of being live on Raw being all across the United States and quite honestly all around the world um, in front of 15 to 20,000 fans in the building and millions of people around the world and all it takes is for you to make one mistake and all of your hard work and your sacrifice and your entire career can be wrapped up and done. That pressure, that, that, uh, that's always there no matter whether you're doing a, a reboot or if you're doing a brand new take of your own. Um, Okay, and uh, one of our teammates here at Suplex Retreat, Derek, he's a massive uh, Rockers fan. Uh, he, he was wondering, 
What was it like teaming with Marty Jannetty? Teaming with Marty Jannetty was uh, fantastic. Marty is a wonderful guy, um, and he's very underrated and I think undervalued and underappreciated in professional wrestling. You know, everybody says, you know, you don't want to be the Marty Jannetty of the team, and I beg to differ. I quite honestly think that, you know, people should aspire to be the Marty Jannetty of the team. Uh, Marty was, was very talented and was really the base, the backbone of that team that allowed, you know, Sean to shine. Sean was, you know, a little, was a little more charismatic and certainly a little more astute at the uh, political game backstage than Marty. You know, Marty was a little more self-destructive um, in his career, but um, I think Marty really, as a, as a worker, uh, was very, very talented and has never been given proper Okay, and obviously a lot of the WWE characters and gimmicks of like 95, 96, uh, looking back, they haven't been remembered so fondly just because of the changing times like with the likes of the NWO over in WCW and it was, you know, the precursor for the Attitude Era. Do you think the team never went further, you and Giannetti, just for the simple fact it was changing times? No, I think it, it didn't go further simply because, uh, for two factors. One, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know then what I know now, and I could have capitalized more on that opportunity. And I think that uh, the second reason is that Marty, I don't think his heart was in it. I don't blame him. Once the New Yorkers came to an end, you returned to ECW under the name Al Snow. Uh, can I just ask you, did you think when you were in ECW at the time that this small filler promotion would have such a lasting impression on the wrestling landscape? Scottish independent scene, ICW has remnants of the old ECW, so it is, yes, yes. It is something it's, that... Uh, it's, 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 it's inspiration is very far-reaching than the wrestling. Okay. So it was at this time you began the sort of deranged, mannequin-head wielding gimmick that brought me notoriety. Where did the inspiration for this sort of psychotic character with the help me backwards on the forehead come from? Transference disorder, and she transferred her illness onto the 
one option situation heard the voices from, and uh, that coupled with uh, finding a styrofoam bed that I was, that was in the back of the arena uh, there in Philadelphia, and where they make the Mummer's Day Parade folks, and uh, I was taking some pictures with uh, great Sasuke after um, a match with him in the ECW arena, and I thought, you know, I'm going to carry this to the ring, and it's going to talk to me, and I'm going to talk to them, and I'm going to treat them as if they are sick, and I'm not. You actually answered my next question there, uh, during your answer, I was going to say, is it true you found the original head near the ECW arena during a parade? Yeah. would see return to WWE once more this time keeping your ECW name and gimmick. The actual deal was a wonderful thing. Yes. Did you ever think something like a styrofoam head would just get such a reaction? If you've got a styrofoam head, you, you know, you're not taking that one anywhere else, it's just the head. Just that, yeah. Uh, so you're of course synonymous with the legendary hardcore division, you held the title six times. What are some of your favourite memories from the hardcore division in WWF? Massachusetts, the end of the top of snow was a defining moment. Um, 
to this day, people come and talk to me about, you know, the night that we fought into the Mississippi River. Um, you know, and that really, um, that means a lot to me because um, my goals when I looked into professional wrestling, quite honestly, were very simple. They were that I wanted to, you know, um, be able to make a living uh, doing this. Um, and I've been able to do that for 37 years. And uh, be able to make a name that lasts beyond myself, leave some kind of legacy. And I think that I've done that to some degree. And uh, and then the third thing was to have matches or moments that people would remember. And, you know, I have people come up to me and, you know, speak to me about, you know, not just matches or moments that I've done in WWE, but in, you know, throughout my career. And, you know, when I was breaking into business back in 1982, 84, 86, 87, and, you know, uh, bringing up things that happened in the first run in ECW, uh, a match with Benoit, the, you know, uh, matches with Chris Candido, uh, you know, promos that I did in Smoking Mountain Wrestling on the Rock and Roll Express, uh, a, they, uh, you know, my run with the European title in uh, WWE, a number of people would come up and remark about those things, my verbal sparring matches with, you know, Mick Foley, um, so I've been very lucky to be able to accomplish the goals that I've wanted, you know, I set out 37 years to accomplish. And that was, I've done every one of those things. And uh, you also mentioned uh, Bob Pauly fighting into the Mississippi River. You know, it's the middle of February. How quickly did the two of you regret that spot as soon as you were in? Well, I thought it was a good idea at the time when I was out in the afternoon and it was a lot warmer. <laughs> and I was walking around without a jacket, but I didn't take into account that the water temperature would be significantly colder than the air temperature, and not to mention it was a lot deeper, and the water was flowing a lot faster and was a lot more disgusting than I could have ever imagined. <laughs> so is that uh, incredibly instant? gross? Yeah, pretty much instantly you regretted it. I would say the minute that my head went under the water, I was <laughs> yeah. immediately regretting that idea. Okay. And also one of your other memorable feuds is your feuds with the late, great Big Boss Man over the hardcore title and your beloved pet, uh, Pepper. How did that come about? How did the, the feud of a dog come about? I've been through, so I've watched the uh, movie Son of Sam and the character had, was hearing voices from a chihuahua. And uh, he, I think there was an effort to, to try to do away with the head at that point in time. But then nobody ever came and directly told me. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they gave me the dog to replace the head. And, and they laid out the entire story, the, uh, what we call an angle. And uh, I insisted right from the start that, you know, we would need highly trained animals for every step of the way. And I was assured that we would have highly trained animals every step of the way. And um, we didn't have highly trained animals <laughs> any step of the way. So, you know, in, in entertainment, I mean, it's not a, it's not a, you know, not a myth. It's not a, you know, it's been a long-standing rule that you never work with children or animals uh, simply because it's so dangerous. Yeah. You can't control them. Yeah, and we saw that during the infamous kennel from Hell Match. The dogs were not interested in you or Big Boss Man at all. from the same training school. You needed them to be under verbal command and you needed 
needed them to be able to be highly trained when they were given an attack word, they needed to be on ready to attack. And what we got were, you know, multiple dogs from multiple owners that, that one had some obedience training. That was it. And they were out there ur- urinating, defecating, and fornicating, but we can utilize them in any way in fashion and destroy the fashion. That makes it hard. Uh, so near the end of 1999, you sort of moved away from the hardcore division and into the tag division, uh, teaming with and then feuding with your good friend Nick Foley. Uh, during this time, you also got a chance to work with The Rock. Uh, I was just wondering if you had any stories or fond memories from this angle, working with two possibly the greatest of all time. Well, I know that at least one of them is the greatest of all time. I don't know about that second one. <laughs> um, you know. And you can pick which one I'm talking about. Um, is it maybe the, uh, you know, it's, it's Sorry, the guy that's doing movies and has great good look, is really good looking, and the other one is kind of looks like a homeless guy and isn't doing movies. And, yeah, yeah, and is make, um, making books, making fun of you. Yeah, yeah. It's almost, cause he, it's almost like Nick is so obsessed with it, it's like he has a sexual predilection towards me. You know, it's like no one would be that obsessed with anyone unless they had some sexual interest in them. Um, but, you know, I had a great time because, you know, uh, Dwayne Johnson, honestly, is a, you know, he's an awesome person, a terrific human being, and, you know, uh, I had wrestled him, worked with him numerous times, you know, when he first came in the first time, as just, uh, you know, Dwayne Rocky Johnson, um, you know, Rocky, we, uh, we were married. Uh, a term from wrestling business where you know you get hooked with the guy and kept with him and uh, I was basically there to kind of take leading through and uh, you know and we uh, you know I always enjoyed working with him and I always thought he was a great guy and had a great time with him so okay um, no, nothing positive to say about Mick Fuller heavily in the early seasons of the show Tough Enough. Uh, the show was pretty groundbreaking for the time. What were your thoughts on the show itself when you first got approached to do it? I was you know, excited and was happy to do it and um, it turned out to be a marvellous opportunity and probably one of the things that I'm most proud of to be involved with in the wrestling business and gave me an incredible amount of exposure to a mainstream audience, you know, uh, and I'm Hey, was it during this time that you sort of got a passion for training? I had that before. I had the on the school plenty of people. Truth Martini with Ring of Honor, Blue Meanie, Dan Severin, both for professional wrestling and the UFC. Uh, several other guys that went on to have uh, very, you know, successful careers. Um, to very, you know, all success is not based off of just coming out and looking at the video. And, uh, um, you know, I was able to not allow, help a lot of people pursue their dreams 
make a living that you know, uh, professional wrestling at that time, and then you know got the opportunity with Tough Enough, and uh, you know really enjoyed it, and um, and then you know it just went from there. And. Looking at some of the contestants that have gone quite far from the tough enough days, the likes of John Morrison, The Miz, Ryback, is there any names there that you're surprised they've done as well as they have? Before we move on to some questions about your TNA Impact Wrestling days, uh, I have to ask, you touched on it during the intro, what were your thoughts on the whole action figure fiasco? For any of our listeners that aren't familiar with it, uh, a university state professor took time out of her day to complain that Al Snow's action figure came with a styrofoam head and, you know, just turned it into something else. It always seems to be the thing with wrestling in the mainstream media. It gets turned into something that's not.
and um, everybody being able to voice their opinion, which opinion is the lowest form of human knowledge, uh, requires no real information or no real homework or study to espouse your opinion in a public forum as if you're some kind of an expert on any topic nowadays. And that was exactly what happened. Two women that knew nothing of products, knew nothing, did not watch wrestling, um, they jumped to conclusions and assumptions, claimed that it was uh, an action figure that had a decapitated woman's head in it, wrote a letter to the Atlanta Constitution complaining that it was, and I quote, claimed that the action figure had a decapitated woman's head in the package and that it was, was, and I quote, a training manual for future spousal abusers, meaning that I was going to incite men to beat up their wives um, as they grew up because they bought my action figure, even though I never once referred to that in, a, in any manner other than an asexual manner. It was neither a he nor a she, and uh, I always treated it with you know, the utmost care and respect. And, um, it was no different than when we ran a college in ECW and they put a picture of me holding it by the face, um, holding head by the base, basically my hands around the throat, and uh, a woman's group showed up to picket the show, claiming that uh, we were promoting violence against women. Like you said, opinion is the lowest form of human knowledge, so we'll just kind of move on from that part then. Uh, so, in TNA, you had a sort of similar role to your toughness role. Uh, you had a role as a trainer on British Boot Camp, and you were a judge on the Gut Check. During your time as Gut Check judge, you entered a feud with uh, Julie Ryan. So, he's one of the biggest independent wrestlers in the world right now, Julie Ryan. Can I get your thoughts on him and that style of comedy wrestling that seems to have an audience at the minute? ICW is our home base, being Glasgow bound. Um, you had a, a bit of back and forth in British Boot Camp Season 2 with, um, with Scotland's own Grado. What were your thoughts on Grado then? And what are your thoughts on what Grado's done since? You know, he's he's found mainstream success here in the UK on like, the likes of TV uh, and theatre. He's had a TNA run. He's still one of ICW's top draws. Have you kept up with what Grado's been up to? Uh, yeah, I keep up with what Grado's, you know, been up to. Um, you know, uh, from a, you know, 
standpoint, he's a fat bag of something. No, I gotta call him that. But from a realistic standpoint, Grindel is very charismatic, very entertaining performer. Uh, clearly, because he's he's went on to you know be successful in other mediums outside of just wrestling. And, um, something that other professional wrestlers have, you know are, can't quite do. And uh, I couldn't be happier. Uh, you know, Grindel was brought to North Carolina. Bold match. Nobody knew him. Came out looking like he did. Faced EC3. Bowed, crapped all over him when they first came out. By the end of the match, eight minutes later, he lost the match and everyone stood up and cheered for him as he left the match. He just tends to be someone you just kind of help but get behind. He is just... Yeah, it's just a big lovable, as we call it in Scotland, a dafty, a big lovable dafty. Plus he knows what works for him and why it works for him, and he yeah. utilizes that to the best of his ability. Yeah. Uh, so, we finish up our interview with just a little bit of quick fire. I just need to ask, what's next for Alfred? And so we'll just end it off the way we usually do, just a wee bit of quick fire. Uh, Rock or Austin? Uh, um, oh. <laughs> uh, Triple H or Shawn Michaels? Shawn Michaels. Uh, Brett or Owen? Owen. Owen. Favourite face of Foley? Favourite European country you represented during your European Championship run? Uh, Transylvania. And if you could have one last match uh, in the WWE, who would it be again? Uh, probably whoever is the champion so that I can make the most money. That's a good answer as any and that's a good <laughs> point to stop it on. Uh, Al, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on, Ross. No, we really appreciate you being on. Uh, 
So you can find Al Snow at Real Al Snow on all social media platforms. You can find us at Super Free Tweet. Uh, stay tuned for more massive interviews. We've interviews with the likes of TJP, James Storm, The Miz, Seth Rollins, and much, much more. Many Scottish independent talents, such as both Mark Dallas, Lionheart. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a wee review. Thank you and goodbye.